Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So today on the episode, we are going to explore how my guest was able to successfully fight stage four cancer. My guest today is Amy Saeed. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Madeline. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I think, you know, I think when somebody receives the news, especially a stage four news, it can be very overwhelming and terrifying and um, annihilistic, like meaning like the end is the end is coming. For sure. For sure. It's like, and there doesn't seem to be enough discussions, right? Because, you know, as with anything on the internet, you know, as a healthcare worker and provider as well, you you know, clients come in, they're like, they look at the internet and everything's super negative and we don't really hear the other side. And so when you only hear the negatives all the time, this is the end, this is, you know, this is the only thing you can do. There's nothing else you can do. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to pull yourself together to fight when all you see is negativity. So I think this is a really important discussion um, to talk about. Like there are also good stories and healing stories and powerful journeys that people go on to, to recover. And so I want to thank you very much to, for, you know, coming on the show and um, you know, talking with us about this. Um, So I figure maybe, we can start off with like, can you tell us a little bit about you and like where your journey started? Sure. Sure. I want to actually continue a little bit on, on the trajectory you were going on when it came to the negativity, because something that I've realized, and it's not only with my own cancer journey, but I've realized for many people, right. Is that the negativity is what brings in uh, reviews and riles people up and makes people pay attention. So unfortunately, it's become part of our media and part of our lifestyle. And what that negativity also does, whether you realize it or not, is it sits in your subconscious. So your brain starts to be become wired to see the negativity and focus on the negativity before it'll go to the positive side. And so basically, what I want to talk about today with your listeners is how do we get back to that level of positivity? when there is so much negativity out there, right? And uh, we'll do it in the context absolutely of my journey because I think my journey is one that is quite common these days for people who do get a diagnosis of cancer and of stage four cancer at that. So my journey particularly started out when I was in my late 20s. I uh, had lost my father at a young age. And I think through my 20s, I was just in severe grief. I was in grief that was so severe that I didn't really want to deal with it like other people or like I was expected to kind of roll through life. You know, you're still in school, you're still working. Um, I kind of overscheduled myself regularly, right? 
weight because I started to feel like as though the more that I was doing, the more distracted I was, right? So fast forward, I hit 29. I'm in a pretty abusive relationship. I, I was dating um, my ex-husband not for very long and had a lot of pressure to get married. So we got married. And then soon after we got married, you know, he started to verbally abuse me. And um, it was it was, it was was a typical um, cycle of domestic violence that starts out with just, you know, put downs and that sort of thing. And it was just kind of growing from there. Um, I also got pregnant quite quickly. So uh, he really wanted to have children. I was kind of on the fence. I went off of birth control for about a month. I ended up getting pregnant, right, before I could get back on. So now I'm pregnant and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, But in my true Amy fashion, I push myself through, right? So I'm like, I'm just dealing with the stress, going to work, doing my usual thing. I was really, really sick with the pregnancy. I ended up finding out when I was um, about... Uh, 11 weeks pregnant that I was pregnant with twins. So it was just total like miracle doesn't run in my family, didn't run in his, end up with these twins that are inside of me. And I think because of all the hormones and because I had double the babies inside, I was just like vomiting daily, like throughout the day. There was like no morning sickness. It was like day sickness. So my life was really throwing up in between, you know, meetings and throwing up in between whatever I was doing and then just dealing with it. And like, again, I was just dealing with it. Eventually my family doctor wrote me off of work. She said, you know, there's no way you can, you can function at this level. Um, the stress of the marriage and the stress of the pregnancy is going to get to you. You should really be on bed rest. So that, I think that was really crushing for me because it was the first time in my probably recent life, I had to just sit and do nothing, right? Um, So anyways, fast forward, I have the twins. They're both healthy. They were born early, but they were both healthy. And I'm really struggling, right? I'm really struggling with just, you know, dealing with the two of them. He wasn't really helping much. Um, And then uh, when they were about five months old, so once they were born, about a month into my postpartum period, I had lost all my baby weight. So I went from being like pretty healthy, you know, when I had the babies to losing about 30 pounds in about 30 days. Um, So that was quite alarming. And I knew something was wrong because you kind of know something's wrong with you. So once they hit about five months, I had been going to the doctor and basically begging, like begging to find out what was wrong with me because I just kept losing weight, losing weight. I was at about 92 pounds So I had dropped from about 130 to 92 pounds and uh, I was like all skin and bones. And then um, they actually found that I had a a set of tumors in my stomach. Um, Biopsy revealed that I had cancer. Um, So at that point, I ended up uh, doing five weeks radiation, six months chemotherapy, basically took me through like the first year of the of the kids lives into their into their next year. And um, although it was really, really, really tough. I kind of did it. And my my whole coping mechanism then was I've got these two babies that I have to take care of. I focused on them. And I really just got through it, right without really thinking much about it. 
So once um, I, I went through the treatment, I felt a little bit better. I started to work again. So uh, I'm a kinesiologist by education. I work in rehab. Uh, I'm also a rehab professional. So I started working uh, specifically with WSIB, I remember back then. So I was helping people get through their injuries, get through transitions in their life. A lot of uh, CBT type of work that I was doing. And um, in doing all of that, I remember going for a random colonoscopy and following the colonoscopy, they were just calling my phone down. And I was thinking, you know, they just want to bring me back for a follow-up because they hadn't seen anything on the day that they did the colonoscopy. But it turns out that they had sent some uh, tissue for biopsy. And I was uh, diagnosed then with the stage four cancer in my colon. And so when I was diagnosed, it was terrifying. Absolutely. But there's a part of me, I think, that started to make myself believe that it wasn't true. And it sounds really, really crazy, but I continued to convince myself that it's not true. I'm not sick. I'll just go through what they're asking me to go through. But there was a, a real dissonance between what I was being told and what was really happening in my mind. And as crazy as it sounds, I think that it was a great coping mechanism for me because it gave me the ability. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. So it gave me the ability to look at myself like I was my friend and to look at like what advice would I give my friend. And so, mind you, I did have moments. I had moments where I was crushed. I had moments where I felt very, very desperate. And I thought, if I do end up succumbing to this, what's going to happen? Like what's going to happen to these two little girls and what's going to happen to everything that I've been trying to build up in my life? What is going to be my legacy, right? So around that time, um, Farrah Fawcett had documented her end of life and it had been released uh, on TV and she had very uh, candid home videos of travels to Germany regularly and going to the specific uh, hospital in Germany that treated GI cancers. And I happened to come across her documentary. So I started to talk to my oncologist about options because their main option was surgery. They said, you got to cut it out. You got to get it out of you. And I just you know, it, maybe it's intuitive, maybe it's from all the, um, the reading I was doing. I thought to myself, if I'm going to make a decision that's this big and live with an ostomy bag for the rest of my life, I want to make sure it's the right decision for me. Um, and, you know, I've always been high functioning. I've always played sports. I've always been a runner. I just kept thinking, like, what's my quality of life going to look like? And I also reflected on the fact that my father had an ostomy bag for much of his life. And he was high functioning. He was a sergeant with TPS. And he really um, was thriving throughout life. But with the ostomy bag, there's all these complications that he dealt with that I saw firsthand that I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. And I think because of that, I started to really do a lot of introspection and started to look into, you know, what are the options out there? And I actually reached out to the hospital that Farrah Fawcett went to. So I got, um, I got their contact number. And I guess with these hospitals, they have international um, staff uh, on site that speak to people when they call in. So I ended up speaking to somebody who was an oncologist who told me, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't do surgery. I would start with radiation and I would follow this protocol. And it was a very different protocol than what I was being told uh, to do here. 
I was, uh, again, very lucky. My oncologist was open-minded and I discussed all of this with my oncologist and we started to go down the path of the radiation and the chemo and to see what would happen with the, with the, um, basically like with me knowing that there's a chance that it may not work because it wasn't normal protocol here. So um, I did start the treatment. Uh, The radiation was pretty horrendous. Um, I had like, you know, burns on my back. I had discomfort constantly, a lot of pain. Um, And then when we went into doing the chemotherapy, there were a couple options uh, for chemotherapy back then. Uh, The first one I reacted to right away, like my blood cell counts dropped. I wasn't doing well. My hair fell out right away. And I was just having a real struggle with with the chemotherapy. I went off of that, uh, took a break for a few weeks, and then they put me on the other one, and that one wasn't responding well either. So now I'm in this situation where I go to see a, a new oncologist that was dealing with the, uh, the chemotherapy side of things. And she tells me, look, we don't really have any options for you. So if I were you with your little ones, I would go home and like make arrangements and just figure out what your next steps are going to look like. And um, I think in that moment I, I had clarity and I thought she's right. I should probably do that. Right. And so I left the hospital, got in my car, I'm driving home on the DVP, bawling my eyes out and feeling like totally crushed, right? Because now I'm like, how much can I deny this? And then I don't know what it was. It was like a very dreary day. It was raining. It was like really, really nasty. I'm stuck in this parking lot, basically. And I stopped crying all of a sudden. I said, no, I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to accept this. And I took the next exit off the DVP, drove in rush hour traffic all the way back to the hospital and went into the clinic and told the receptionist to bring the doctor to the front, which she came probably because what the hell is she doing back here? They were probably scared. They're like, what is going to happen here? Like, why is she back here? I was totally like manic probably to them, right? They're probably like, we just need to like satisfy whatever she's saying before we have to call They're like, she's she's losing it. (laughs) She's coming in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then I, I, I I went up to the doctor and I said, you see this face? I'm a mom. Never tell a mom that she has no options. And I, and I said, secondly, if I do die, I'm going to come back and haunt you because of the way you dealt with me and telling me all of this. And I said, that's not okay. You can't do that to people. You can't take their hope away. And I left. And I remember walking out of the hospital. I was shaking because I, I felt so brazen. But I thought to myself, I'm going to fight this. I don't care what happens. And so... You know, the journey from there was, it was ups and downs every day. Of course, I had ongoing side effects from, you know, the treatments I'd already done. But one thing that really, really started to grow inside of me was this will to live. And the will to live came from so many different places. I mean, it started really with the babies, like with my twins, looking at them every day and dealing with them every day. I thought to myself, I'm not leaving them to anybody, right? Um, And then from there, it turned into more of like, 
a journey of, of reflection, right? Like, what is my legacy? What am I going to leave in this world? And, you know, I had such a great uh, role model in my life with my father because he was very involved with, you know, anti-racist activity in Toronto. He used the police force and his ability to influence through the police force to join intercommunity councils um, around the GTA. And this is back in the 80s, right, when things were much different and they looked very different for a lot of people. But he really made way for a lot of new immigrants who came to Toronto to make a life just simply by influencing and by talking to people and making opportunities for others. And when he died, I remembered um, like we had arranged his funeral less than 24 hours. We had this massive funeral. Uh, We had all these people show up and the police also, um, the police presence, like basically doing a police funeral for him because he was still considered a police officer. He had not retired when he passed. And that, that, um, vision of what I saw always stayed in my mind because I always thought, you know, if I were to go, I'd want to go and have people celebrate my life that way, right? So I think that was another driving force for what happened next. But basically what I ended up doing is I would go to the hospital, you know, I, I was in discussion with my oncologist. They were investigating different things that they could do for me. I started to read. I started to like Google. I started to do whatever I could do, talk to people. Um, and I did pick up a book um, that I still have called Embrace, Release, Heal. I picked it up uh, at the hospital one day in the bookstore when I was waiting for one of my appointments. And it's a really great book on hope. And it's about people who've had cancer, recurrences of cancer, gone through terminal cancer and survived. And so all of this hope really made way for a lot of opportunities for me. And uh, I ended up actually leaving the country and going to France uh, for treatment eventually. Um, And, uh, you know, I was doing an oral chemotherapy. So this pill I was taking every day, I brought it back with me uh, to Canada, was uh, trying a whole slew of different things. If somebody said they were a healer, I said, I'm going to try you. So I was doing all kinds of healing. I was doing like bioenergy healing, pranic healing, all kinds of things. And um, as a result of the book that I was reading, I I read about um, an institute in Atlanta where they do retreats for people who are going through similar situations as me. I went there. I did uh, a raw food diet and an entire detox of my system, which was also like, it was crazy. Like I I was literally dizzy from all the chemicals that were coming out of me. And I was literally feeling lightheaded for a few months because of the um, just the raw food diet and just cleansing and cleansing and cleansing. And so um, I don't know what really worked for me and what didn't work for me. I do know that it helped me develop the sense of hope that was unbreakable. And um, it gave me the, I guess, the guts to come back to to Toronto after I had I was experiencing all of these things and leave my partner and really day start digging deep about who I was and what I needed to change and for me at the time it was a realization that look you've been through a lot of trauma right like through our childhood even small things that we experience they are considered trauma right they're like micro trauma or whatever name you want to give it 
But we experience these traumas and some of us are just more sensitive than others. And I had very strong sensitivities to what I had experienced. And what that in turn did was make me feel like I needed to be this type A, very strong person who was impermeable and impermeable to all the stress that was around me. But the stress was actually, you know, living within me. So when I was in Atlanta, I'll talk to you a little bit about my turning point um, outside of that, that vision of me driving on the DVP and getting all pissed. Um, but when I was in Atlanta, uh, they had several different types of healers and therapists who would come in and do group sessions with the people who are in the retreat. There was one particular session where um, this healer talked about um, unplugging the cord. So a whole ceremony around sitting with your feelings of grief, your feelings of anger, your feelings of hurt from those who have inflicted this on you and envisioning when you're in a deep meditative state, unplugging this umbilical cord to these people or this person, rolling it up and giving it back to them. And she gave the example of her own um, ceremony of unplugging the cord with her own biological father. And her story was very similar to what I had gone through. So she described it and it really struck a chord with me. Like I was crying. I was like, this is crazy. She's speaking to me. And so following her, her talk, I went up to her and I told her that like, I've had a very similar experience, but I don't know how to do this. Like, how do you do it? And she said, you just do it. And I said, but I don't think I can. Right. And she said, why? And I told her, I feel like if I unplug my father from me and that experience that I'm going to lose him, right? And so she said that, and I don't know, it was really weird. I've never said that to anybody before. It was one of those things where it just came out of me. And she said to me that, try it. She said, go in the bathroom right now and try it. So I did. I went to the bathroom. I closed the door. I looked in the mirror and I tried it. And it was really, really strange. And it's very hard to do, especially when you're not one of those people who are very spiritual, like I don't practice any religion. So it was one of those things where I kind of had to get into it. So I went back to my hotel that night and I actually practiced it. I practiced it all night long. What did that look like? Like, are you literally envisioning? Okay. When you say it, this is what comes to my mind as a visual that I would use. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the matrix. Mm-hmm. where he, they're unplugging him from. Yes. I don't know. That's the visual that comes to my mind. So I'm, I'm just curious, were you like visualizing this this cord um, like through your umbilicus and that you were just like grabbing a hold? Absolutely. I'm just curious what that looked like for you. So I'll, I'll walk you through what the meditation actually looked like. And the meditation, what it ended up looking like after practicing it so many times was I could see my father like in a bubble above me, right? And I could see myself And I could see this cord that was attached to him that was also attached to me. And I was literally saying to him that it's okay. Like, I forgive you. I forgive you for leaving me. I forgive myself for everything that I think I did wrong in this situation. Because you see, I was his caregiver at the end too for the last couple of years. So we had very intimate moments. And I think because I was also holding him when he died, like I felt his soul literally 
like his energy leave his body. It became one of those things where I was holding on to it so strongly so that I wouldn't, uh, because I had already let him go in that moment, I didn't want to let the rest of him go. So I literally kept saying that to myself and to him and unplugging it over and over again. And eventually, I think it was like 6 a.m., I, I did that. I literally said, I'm unplugging you and I'm going to let you go. You're going to be free and I'm going to be free. And I went to sleep. And in my dream, I remember seeing like a very weird um, scene of all these people I was angry with. So I had a lot of obviously issues from the marriage I had just left, like his family, everything like that. And I could see these people in this dream. And uh, I remember waking up feeling like, oh my God, I think I did it, <laughs> right? But really, really, I mean, now it's like a decade later or more than a decade later, I I know that it's progressive, right? Like you feel it in that moment and it's not like Eureka, wow, I took a magic pill and it's done, right? Like the matrix, it's not like I unplugged it and I'm in a different dimension now. It's really practicing it on almost a daily basis sometimes and reminding you, right, that you are valuable enough to unplug that cord. When when you're in situations that are reminiscent of that level of pain or grief or whatever else, right? That puts you back into that mode of being that person again. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to become aware of how our behavior, you know, how we try to avoid feeling things, how yes. we try to, how do we try, how we try just to make it through the day, right? Absolutely. You Absolutely. know, we're, we're, we're in survival mode and it's very difficult to thrive Yeah. in a survival mode. It's very difficult to heal in a survival mode. Um, so was it that particular experience that made you think, about the whole process of letting go? Um, or was it just like through the series of different group therapies that you start, like, ha, I'm, I'm curious as to like how you came to sort of understand the emotional, um, you know, potentially the emotional baggage impacts, the, the trauma, the letting go. Like, how did you come to understand that like, there, there's more than just this physical thing that's happening to me. Yeah. There's these other mental, emotional, you know, um, spiritual, you know, yeah, uh, things. So, so I mean, this is, uh, one of those parts of the discussion that, that used to be very hard for me to speak about, but I've only recently started speaking about it because I've realized that there is really scientific proof of this too. Um, but when I was very young, um, my father used to talk to me about physics a lot. He was a PhD in physics. Um, that's what he was doing actually when, he, so he had immigrated to Toronto. Uh, he was at York University doing his PhD in physics, and then he ended up um, working, right? To, to pay for the tuition and then had a family and the rest is history. But he had uh, completed a master's in, in laser and he used to talk to me about energy and how energy is never created nor destroyed, right? That it's only transferred. So when I was very young and I, I heard that concept so many times, I used to see things like, um, okay, well, like if I'm alive or what's the difference between me being alive and me being dead or an animal being alive and an animal being dead, right? What's the difference between that state? And this is like literally I was 10 or 11 years old and I was having these, these thoughts in my mind. And um, 
I used to uh, I used to think of it kind of like, um, you know, is there a soul? Is there something that leaves? And if it leaves, is it an energy? And I remember talking to him about it and him telling me that, well, there's different levels of energy in your body and absolutely there's electricity in your body. And it would always go back to the scientific side of things. As I grew up, I started to see people's energy as their personality. And um, I used to be able to feel like when somebody was hurting um, because it was kind of the empath in me and I didn't know right really what I was doing, right? Because consciously I knew that, you know, this is kind of crazy talk. And if I go home and tell my parents, like my mom's a doctor too. So it's a very scientific family. They might think that I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Right. But when you look into that, um, that concept of transference of energy, you start to realize, especially as I was going through, you know, kind of my rock bottom, that what's the difference between me being alive and dead and how do I keep this energy within me, right? So that's when I started to really investigate, like, what is this energy? And then I came across concepts of quantum physics, right? Where you start to see a deeper um, understanding of what human energy looks like in terms of our, whatever you want to call it, our soul or the three levels of energy within us or our chakras um, compared to the energy in a plant or the energy in an animal or the energy of the earth, right? Because at the end of the day, we are all living, breathing organisms from the ozone layer and everything underneath it. So when you look at it from that kind of like, you know, 30,000 foot scale, you start to realize, and my realization, especially in the last few years has been that this is all explainable. And it's really easy for us to start to understand the concept of this. And, you know, I've done things like I've done you know, you, you see karma sometimes out there, you're like, oh, you know, if somebody says something really terrible about someone and then something really bad happens to them, you, you assume it's like something like karma or something like that whole law of cause and effect. But it actually goes deeper than that too, because we as a collective, and you're seeing this during the pandemic, we as a collective, we have collective energy that is going out there, whether it's our collective grief and losing our lives in terms of what it looked like pre-pandemic and today, or it's collective grief when we lose people who are huge in the media. So I saw when Kobe Bryant died, for example, the way that people were reacting and the way that people feel. And you start to think like, why am I feeling so sad for somebody I didn't know personally? But really, again, it's that whole concept of energy. And this is energy through thought, through feeling, right? And it exists, like you can feel it. And even when I'm talking to you, for example, right now, or when I talk to people about things, that feeling of passion that you hear in people, you're like, oh, you're so passionate. It's an energy and you're really feeling it, right? Um, I'm wondering um, about sort of like different authors or different mentors or books um, that you have come across that have really, you know, sort of helped you um, in this healing journey. I mean, one thing that comes mm -hmm. to mind um, is You Are the Placebo by Dr. Yes. Joe Dispenza, right? So yeah. he, you know, he talks, he brings in the whole concept of uh, quantum physics and um, yep. changing your energy um, and, and recognizing that, you know, healing can come from within and we have to dive deeper into trying to figure out what are all the different factors that have led me 
to this particular point, right? Not to say that modern medicine, we're not saying at all that modern medicine isn't involved. No, Obviously your, your yeah, journey, your journey clearly shows that. And, yeah. um, and I was reading another um, book called Cured by Dr. Jeffrey uh, uh, Rediger, if I'm yes, pronouncing yeah. that correctly. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so he, he, he's a physician who decided to, you know, step out of, um, I guess, popular opinion um, yes. in the sense of he's like, okay, there are people who have spontaneous remissions and crazy kind of recoveries when like, it was like, no, no, like this is terminal. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing left to do here. And so what he started to do in his research is like, he, he started looking for the people. And I mean, he, he did a really good job to make sure that there was scientifically medically documented, like, you know, for sure you had this tumor and now you have an MRI scan showing you do not, right? Yeah. He was following different people that were using conventional medicines, but were also doing things like diet, um, you know, therapy, talk therapy. Yes, yes, um, Going on these spiritual retreats that included good food, meditation, unplugging from the day-to-day rigmaroles, and I guess, quote-unquote, unplugging from the, the way that the traumas impact. So I, of course, I was curious to hear about, you know, what were some of the influential things that helped you in your journey? So there, there's like, there's a few things that I, I can, I can really point to. I, I read about one to two books a week. So for me to think about which book was the most impactful, it's very hard because I've read so many books. Like I've read anything from, you know, A Course in Miracles, which talks you through kind of the spiritual aspect. It's kind of like, you know, uh, I guess for people who follow um, that, that, that line of thinking, it's kind of like the Bible for spiritual thought. Um, but again, the religion part kind of like turns me off because I, I, I don't, I don't really prescribe to any religion, but I do know that there's a lot of really great books about energy that talk about different types of energy. So there's this book called A Happy Pocket Full of Money by David Jacandi. It's It sounds like it's about money, but it's actually about a lot more. And it also talks about aspects of quantum physics and talks about how you can um, reaffirm your subconscious to become more aligned with your conscious mind to create the environments around you and make life a little bit easier in terms of what your endeavors look like. Uh, the you, you are the placebo is always like, I, I give that, I actually gift that book to a lot of people who go through cancer as well, because I feel the way that Joe Dispenza explains what the placebo effect looks like is very understandable. And look, you know, oftentimes it is like getting a magic pill right? So that work on yourself is kind of like, you know, getting a magic elixir and thinking that, you know, that's what's going to cure you. But really at the end of the day, it is you that's doing it within yourself. A really good, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and the work, right? So the, I think the, the work, really absolutely. important key is you can think, you're, you, you can think about, because um, it, it gets into the law of attraction. And so perhaps it gets a little woo-woo for some yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not, you're not thinking, I mean, you are thinking yourself to health as one 
aspect of it. You're thinking yes. of what that's does a my starting fe- point. Yeah. Yeah. What does my future look like? Yeah. What do I want it to look like? But then, you know, what I gather from, from Joe is like, start living your life as if you are already there. So yes. that, so that means if you have this vision of, you know, health, right, you're going to start trying to live as if you were healthy. Right. And that may be something super small, like I'm going to start with, you know, a glass of juicing in the morning, right? Raw. I I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And you know what? Those types of like the juicing and like, you know, the wheatgrass, I did it all. (laughs) It doesn't always work for everybody, but you're absolutely correct. Doing something about it, right? Like making that plan, yeah, to do something about it. So the living part is really important. And something that I do want to share with you that I always tell people is like, I get on these calls and I always have bright lipstick on and people often make, make comments about it. But I started doing it actually when I was going through treatment. And I always tell myself, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do my makeup every day because these these little ones are seeing my face and being drained and looking pale and yellow as I did at that point with like my yellowing teeth at the time, like it didn't look normal, right? It looks like you're sick. So I would do a full face of makeup. I would do my hair when I had it. Um, I remember when it started growing back, I did pixie cuts and I did them like I, I went to the hairdresser all the time to get it done. I pushed myself to feel the normalcy and look that normal way, right? So that I could live that life. And that is a huge part of tapping into paralleling your uh, your conscious to your subconscious. Because if you start to convince yourself that I'm healthy, I look great, I feel great, I wake up in the morning with energy, I tell myself this before I go to sleep at night and when I wake up in the morning, this is really why affirmations work because they open the door for you to start to practice it. And the practicing part is so, so important. Absolutely, 100% agree. Um I wanted to ask you about, or I wanted to start talking about thriving, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, from one moment you go from surviving and how do you begin to transition to thriving and how do you maintain the thriving and not go back into, you know, victim, uh, you know, victim mentality or, you know, I mean, you're going to go there. You're going to have moments, right? Yeah. We all have depressive moments and thoughts and sadness and grief. And, you know, we have to acknowledge those feelings, but how do you keep yourself, you know, in thriving? So thriving is very similar to resilience, right? If you look at resilience, what is resilience? Resilience is your ability to deal with something that may be tough, but you come out of it quickly right? Instead of being mad at somebody for a month, you're able to feel the anger. And it's funny, I read somewhere that you're only supposed to be angry for 30 seconds, which is hilarious because, you know, when you're pissed off and you're driving around and you've got road rage, it's kind of hard to do, which is a good example to give, but that's how I started practicing it. But your your ability to thrive is really your reflection of your resilience. So if you're able to teach yourself to bounce back, um, that is how you thrive, right? So yes, we feel sad, we feel worried, we feel scared, we worry about 
you know, what's going to happen to the world. We worry about the things that we see in the media. We worry about things throughout the day, right? And then we have our own personal struggles that everybody has. So how do you contextualize that to thriving? I would say it's a daily practice and it's a daily reminder for yourself. So what I do to improve my resilience personally is I practice meditation. And I'm at a point where I practice silent meditation. So the more silent meditation I can get in a day, the better off I am and the more I feel like I'm thriving, right? Because it gives you that that chance to unplug literally from everything that's happening around us. Um, And, you know, that's probably the best advice I can give to people is start a mindfulness practice. It's so in right now. that I know everybody's doing it, but it's so easy also with all these free apps to start just focusing, right? And you can even just start by focusing on your breathing for five minutes, put a timer on your phone, sit down in a comfortable position and focus on your breathing. And every time you got a thought in your mind, you know, you don't push it away. You just refocus on your breathing, right? Another thing that's really, really important, and I know you've touched on this throughout this interview, but I want to reiterate is we have to feel our feels. We have to let that pass through us. We can't deny it or reject it or think we're going to be positive all the time. That's not normal. It's not human. And it actually is damaging because then those feelings stay repressed and you're basically repeating what you were doing before in a different way right? So yes, tell yourself, I feel positive. I feel energetic, even maybe when you don't, but feel the feels like write it out, you know, get it out of you because if it stays within you, that is also what's been scientifically documented to be a cause of disease or be a cause of illness. Thank you for, for that reminder. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to speak to the moment when you found out you were cancer free. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment and just what you felt and like what 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 was that moment like for you? So going into the moment, I already knew. Like I knew I was going to be okay. I had I had done enough work at that point to know that I didn't do this all in vain. I'm going to be okay. And I thought to myself, no matter what the outcome is, whether they see cancer in there or not, I'm okay. And so going into it, that's what I thought. And so when they told me that we don't really see anything on your blood tests and we didn't see anything on your last CT scan, I I knew. And I, I remember thinking they probably think I'm crazy because I was kind of giggling, like I was acting like a like a little kid, basically. (laughs) Like, I know something you don't know, you know? Um, But they basically had told me, you know, in true, in true fashion that you're not technically cancer free yet (laughs) because you've only got like a test done. You're going to have to come back and stay in monitoring and we can't really say you're in remission right now. But for me, I think it was just a reaffirmation of what I already knew and what I already felt. And it wouldn't have mattered if I'd gone back and they said it was back or it was there. I mean, I'm sure it would have upset me to a certain degree, but I was so confident and I was riding this high at that time that I just had convinced myself that everything was going to be okay. And it was like, I was in monitoring for about, uh, I'd say eight years and everything always came back clear. Right. So it just became one of those things where it became a little bit of a, of a hindrance to have to go in and like do the tests because it was 
like, oh, I have to get, you know, break my schedule and go drive all the way there and do this. But it also became a practice of my resilience because it also became that practice of, you know, I have to go and I have to do this. And there's always that stress for survivors, right? Like what's going to happen in this test? What are they going to find? Um, so it was always this practice, this practice, constant practice, right? Driving there, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Getting there, waiting for the test saying, yeah, it's going to be fine. I know everything's going to be okay. So it was about eight years of that practice, right? Every three to six months. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It, you, you, you turn the challenge, you know, uh, it, what's the, what's the saying? Like the challenge is the way, right? Yes. You have to, yeah. you have to move yeah. through to exactly. break through. Yeah. I want to talk about your program. Um, yeah. can you tell us what, what it is? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I spent the last couple of years building a program. Uh, I've recently named it Quantum Genius, and the way that I named it was really from the concepts that I'm using to to teach this course. So the program is actually a coaching program, and um, it's it's very it's it's very much geared to the person who's doing it. So. Although the practices are, I'd say, a little bit more generic, you can really hone in on what, whatever you're dealing with in your life. And the program takes these concepts of quantum physics that are tried, tested, and true. And um, I mean, I've tried them. I've tested them. I've read about them. It's a culmination of so many years of study as well. Um, and also, you know, thousands of years of study. If you, if you could go back to, you know, the, uh, the Greek philosophers, Aristotle, you know, Plato, these are concepts that were kind of brought into play Marcus Aurelius back then. Um, so I've taken these concepts and I put it in a 12-week program. Why 12 weeks? I, I For CBT and for um, progressive goal attainment programs that I used to teach for the last 20 years, we give a minimum of 12 weeks treatment for somebody to change a habit or change something. So the program's 12 weeks and I've taken all of these concepts. I've also taken concepts of different exercises and ways to incorporate physical exercise and uh, mindfulness as well as energetic healing to create a very holistic program. And so what you'll see here is we do exercises that are 15-minute stints that are functional. So you're using larger muscle groups of your body. So you're building up your metabolism. You're doing a lot of healthy things. But the focus is really on the combination of that with the mindfulness. So it's kind of something that I started doing on my own. I used to run on the treadmill every morning and listen to an audiobook. And then I started to run on the treadmill and listen to more calming audiobooks audiobooks or meditations. I took those concepts and I've created this, it's kind of like a restorative form of exercise that these people will be doing through the practice of this program to hopefully make it a practice in their life. And it really is honing in on making things easy for people instead of being one of those coaches that's, you know, standing up and screaming at people and telling them that it's their fault. And, you know, telling them that they need to do more. It's more about teaching people how to do less and how to really get in alignment with what they need to access in their subconscious mind. So it'll be kind of like a way to create an entry point so that when you need to dig deep and you need to start to recognize in your daily activities how I access my subconscious mind to release or to work around a block that I may be having, they're able to do it easier.
Yeah. And I like the idea of um, incorporating, of course, that kin background really comes into play, incorporating restorative movement because, um, you know, emotions and things can be stored in body parts as well, right? Absolutely. And not only that, but just from a physiology perspective, you know, when we go into fight or flight or into freeze, right, where we're just so overwhelmed, we're just literally withdrawing from life and shutting down, there's a, yeah. physio- there's a physiological response that is occurring, electrochemical responses throughout the body that actually impacts muscular tension, digestion, sleep, absolutely, re- reproduction, restoration. And so I think, you know, I think we, we don't give enough value from a in this case, a bottom-up approach from moving the body, moving the breath to actually impart a change, right? Forcing the physiology to change, which then can actually change your emotions and your thoughts because electrical chemical signals begin to change because now you have new demands on the body, right? But you can do it in a restorative way. It doesn't, you know, there's so many different ways we can move our body, but I don't think from, a, from um, you know, we talk about the benefits of exercise and people are like, yeah, 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 I know, like 30 minutes of exercise. Yeah. We don't, what we don't do a really good job of is diving deeper to explain why that 30 minutes of exercise or why moving your body has these profound health impacts. And we know that exercise 100%. There's scientific literature upon literature upon literature that Absolutely. physical activity, movements, different types of movements all have positive effects on cancer. So they that do. research is there. And I, I mean, we know cardiovascular health, mental health, all yeah. of those things, right? Yeah. So if you can incorporate that mental, emotional, spiritual part with movement, I think that can, yeah, I think that's important. And I think that's a great thing. It is. And, and what's really funny is that the, the exercises are very easy to do. Um, and with the program, I actually send them like an entire band set that they can do at home so they can even travel with it for the rest of their lives if they want. But the whole concept behind that too is to reduce your cortisol levels and to reduce if you're doing high performance exercising to take a break on those days when you do these exercises and to really hone in on like what is really happening with your body. Because a lot of injuries and a lot of the these types of, um, you know, uh, wear and tear on our body. I I was high performing athlete for a long time. And so I know I have all these knee injuries and ankle injuries and, you know, small things now, like I I, I misstepped a step at a cottage and I rolled my ankle and it's this massive injury, right? Because over the years I had done so much elite exercise at this high performing level that it really broke me down. So at this age, and especially after everything I went through with the cancer, I find that these exercises that I've been practicing for so many years actually bring um, an improvement to my energy level, uh, reduce my cortisol levels, which, you know, they spike when you're doing that kind of exercise. And for people who are stressed already or experiencing, you know, issues with regulation of sleep and that sort of thing, I mean, it's a collective, right? It's been happening through the pandemic and everyone's talking about it. These exercises actually give you the ability to feel like you exercise, but in a relaxing way. So you actually feel better after the exercise and not so much the soreness and the pain and the, you know, the energy drop. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's a really good point. I was uh, having a chat with a physiotherapist from the 
um, U.S. we were talking in the context of constipation. And she was like, yeah, for some people, you know, high intensity training just doesn't, is not, is not good. No, for, it's not. And also for, you know, I'm also a very busy person, type A. I mean, entrepreneurs were always yes. in, yeah. in 50 <laughs> different places. Of course, of course. And, you know, I agree that, you know, having some good cardio exercise, but all the time, high intensity, we need restorative movements that we slow because we don't yeah. know how to slow down. No, we and, don't. And, and, and that's what this program's for, really. It's teaching people how to slow down. I like to call it the secret to life. <laughs> and maybe that's what I should have called the program. But when I, when I came out of my cancer, I was like, I feel like I have the secret to life. And I just want to tell everybody about it, you know? You also have a podcast. Can I you tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, my podcast is called Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. I started it out uh, actually in the beginning of the pandemic, planned it before then, but it's really a way for people to showcase their own stories of surviving and thriving. And uh, we've had a really, really amazing response. The first season just closed up. We're launching our second season right now. We're actually uh, doing it in production with Quill. Um, and we're super excited to have some new guests and some new stories for people to to, to listen to. We're on all podcast uh, providing networks, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Amazing. Yeah. I think we need, we need more stories. And again, the most important thing is, and, and this is why I have so many different guests on, on my podcast is to understand that what works for some people doesn't work for everybody. Absolutely. Um, and it, what I want to highlight is that there's more than one way right? Yes. So if something's not working, try something else, right? And what's really interesting about my podcast is we've brought in people from different, different um, backgrounds, different life experiences. Our closing uh, of our season was with um, this woman who was involved in one of those, um, uh, one of those uh, like retreats uh, where they were like in a sweat lodge and how it went wrong. Uh, we've spoken to people who are dealing with addictions. We've spoken to people who've had experienced sexual abuse at a young age. So it's a, it's a real mix. But what I really love about it is that the thriving and how they came out of it, even though the stories are all individual and different, like you said, different things work for different people, right? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the podcast and people can find it anywhere podcasts are located, but if people wanted to learn more um, about your program or just to follow you or yeah. get, you know, get more information about things, um, where would they look? Uh, you can visit me at amysayad.ca and actually everything is there. And even if you want to just say hi, or if you have any specific questions, I've got a link to an email address there too. Hello at amysayad.ca and they can email me there. Amazing. And uh, for anybody who is driving or didn't catch all of that, we'll put all of that in the show notes. So it'll make it easy to click. And the show notes um, can be found, um, you know, where the podcasts are being accessed, but also on um, our page, which is ecophysio.com. You can find it either under the blog tab or the podcast tab. And so all the links um, will be there for all of our guests. Amy, I want to thank you so much for, um, you know, coming to share such a personal story. Thank um, you, Madeline. And 
you know, hopefully instilling some hope for some people, you know, or at least sparking an interest that maybe this might be something I want to look into um, as part of my journey. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what people have to say. Make sure yeah. you guys leave a review. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you for saying that. And so we always want to thank our, our listeners. Um, you know, if you know somebody who might need to hear an uplifting story, please share with them. Um, obviously, yeah, leave us a review. Tell us, you know, tell us what you think. Um, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next podcast. So take care for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.